Welcome to Cream, Eggs and Jam. A podcast for food nerds with show and tell by Elise Bullbrook and Scott Bagnell. We love to cook with cream, eggs and jam and learn from food people who give a damn. So join us each week for thoughts, tips and tricks with guests, recipes and more in the mix. Scotty. We made it. Yes. It's episode five. We're here. Congratulations to us. We have defied all odds, despite there being only 24 hours in the day. We have fit in up to five podcasts now. This is amazing. I can't believe episode five. It feels like a milestone. That's a very small milestone, probably in the scheme of things. But, you know, in our very hectic lives, I think this Mm. is a milestone. Thank you for joining us on this crazy journey. We hope you are enjoying it as much as we are. We're having fun. And hopefully someone out there is having fun with us. (laughs) (laughs) At least one person. That's it. That's it. But as with all creative endeavors, you must just start in order for the yes. motivation to follow. So I think um, we have a lot to celebrate and um, let's get into it, Scotty. You know, welcome to Cream, Eggs and Jam, episode five. I'm Elise Pulbrook. And I'm Scott Bagnall. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. I'm coming to you from Yagara country. And I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri country. We would like to start this week by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast and pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. All right. What a week, Elise. We have had a week. week. We have had a week. (laughs) (laughs) Scotty has been in Melbourne for most of this week and yet we still didn't manage to sit down and record a podcast. That Um, would have been so much easier. You think. You think. (laughs) (laughs) You think. But, you know, when we're together, things are a little bit hectic and I I do believe it's my fault. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) no. I apologise. No, no. no. (laughs) From the moment Scotty landed in Melbourne, every single minute of every single day has been filled to the brim and each Mm. night has been guided with, um, oh, we can keep going until midnight. You know, it's, it hasn't been a, I'm tired. I might go to bed. No, we must work. (laughs) (laughs) We must soldier on. And I Mm. love that, you know, sleep when you're dead. (laughs) (laughs) I like to jam-pack my life with as much stuff as I possibly can. Yes. So in the past week... what better way to jam-pack it (laughs) than, you know, spending time with you? Yeah, yeah. Scotty landed. Our ultimate objective of the week was to cater a wedding. However, we fit in a few other (laughs) things around that as well. So Scotty landed. We went to the Bitters Lab immediately upon Scotty's arrival. As promised... You delivered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that place um, was insane. What? I have never experienced so many different bitters, so many different flavors. Um, if you're in Melbourne, you have got to go to this place. And they had all these little samples so that you could smell and taste them, which I love because, like, you read these things on a bottle. And for something like bitters that has so many aromats, I think it's impossible to fully understand the flavour profile of what you're going to get in that bottle. And when you tasted them, holy moly, they were incredible, weren't they? 
Oh, yeah. So in episode four, um, we discussed cocktails. If you're listening now and you don't have the context of why on earth we went to the Bitters <laughs> Lab. And um, bitters are these wonderful uh, – will we give them the category of aromats? Will we give them the category of – anyway, bitters are bitters. What, what are bitters? Yeah, that's a conversation. <laughs> it's, it's a distilled product that introduces herbal notes, fruity notes, uh, spice notes into drinks or mm. other things that you might add bitters to. You, I've, well, done, I've actually put bitters into apple pie before. I, I was just mm. thinking that, like, mm. they have such a complex flavour profile that in baking, I think that would be amazing. This apple pie recipe that I once did, Scotty, I once yeah. did, it's actually an apple pie recipe that it's my go-to if I'm going to make apple pie. You put a little bit of Angostaro bitters into the caramel oh, and yum. it complements the other spices within the caramel. So yes. I like to add a little bit of black pepper as well as cinnamon, cardamom, ginger. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yum. Spiced mm. caramel apple pie. Of course, there's salt too because everything with sugar must have salt. Mm. So that was our first fun stop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then I brought Scotty home because we had places to be, places to go, um, but we also had to nut out a few things for the wedding. So we made a few doughs that afternoon. Yes. <laughs> before going to Francois because oh, in. Yes. Episode two of Cream Eggs and Jam, we spoke about French cuisine and we've been hanging out to eat French together. Yes, yes. Ever since that episode, I needed a a French fix and Francoise was beautiful. I loved the the feel of the interiors, felt like you're in this French bistro. It was super cute. Everyone was jam-packed in like they do in Paris, like the restaurants mm. in Paris are generally quite small and you're all just jam-packed in and it's just got this hustle and bustle and vibe and the people were great. The waiters were magnificent. Um, the they, wine. Oh, that wine. <laughs> we had the best wine. We left it to the waiter to um, give us a recommendation and my goodness it was good Uh and the food the food was so good Oh, upon sitting down we were served hot baguette and Mm. not in an not a chewy baguette it was a baguette that you could actually bite into which is always Mm. a relief for me I have quite a lot of difficulty with my jaw and um, mm. oh, that's what Scotty also had to be here for, my um, dentist appointment. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> if you're experience. listening, if you grind your teeth at night, you might need to get that checked out. I got it checked out a bit too late, okay? Um, <laughs> but um, this, this baguette I could bite into. This baguette was served with glorious butter and a little bit of mustard. I've, I don't know if we were meant to put the mustard on the bread, something that we should have asked was what's the intention of the mustard being served alongside this baguette? Because when you're not sure, asking is always the right thing to do, but we did not do that. <laughs> and we proceeded to put this mustard on the baguette and it was beautiful. The riette. That riette. <laughs> the riette was so good. Oh, it was done so well. I think like the... You want a riette that is held together by this glorious fat, but 
it just disappears in your mouth. The moment it hits mm. your tongue, it melts away and you're left with this beautiful duck. One of my favourite things about Riette is when you spread it onto a little bit of bread, the fat, particularly if the bread is slightly warm, the fat just slightly melts into the bread and you're left with this beautiful tender meat um, mm. that is creamy. It is an absolute luxury because, you know, it's typically thigh meat or, or meat that has had a high fat amount so it's just so tender. Um, mm. It's incredibly gluttonous but it's incredibly wonderful and makes life worth living. So we did so much, Scotty. On the Thursday when Scotty was down, it was my 30th birthday, we didn't really celebrate. We had to shop for catering a wedding the next day. We spent most of the morning at the Queen Victoria Market, procrastinated buying a lot of cheese, not for the wedding, but for the purpose of the weekend. Um, and then spent the remainder of the day essentially rolling pasta. Um, I don't a know if there are any other. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if there are any other caterers on this universe that would hand make pasta for a wedding, but we did, and for we've done it now. People, you live and you learn. You live and you learn. It's a lot but of pasta. I look. That's what I would want at my wedding. So mm, that's that's yeah. how I approached it. Yeah, rightly <laughs> if so. If there is a pasta course, yeah. You, you got to get it right. Um, uh, funnily enough, there was a Kardashian wedding also on the weekend and the pasta servings there were ridiculous. Did you see? <laughs> you sent me a photo of that and, uh, yeah, nah. Like, yeah, nah. <laughs> that, yeah, nah. That is, like, what was that? It was like a spaghetti ball. It looked like oh. the, I don't know, it was like a arancini ball of spaghetti no, no. rolled up. Well, it you know when you eat ridiculous. spaghetti, you eat it with like a fork and a spoon, right? And you pick yeah. up a little bit of pasta and you twirl it into your spoon. Mm. And what was on this beautiful Dolce and Gabbana plate was essentially <laughs> one forkful of twirled pasta. It was ridiculous. I hope I that was understand. a canapé. Was that the main meal? <laughs> it's got to be a part of a degustation. Yeah. People would be hungry or maybe their objective was just to pe get people drunk or they just wanted to put out those beautiful plates with a food product on them that <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be eaten anyway. I don't know. Do celebrities <laughs> eat? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I would love to understand what the thinking behind that one was. Yeah. Food is fun, guys. Food, food is, is fun. fun. And if yeah. you're ever serving food, you should serve it with the objective of ensuring the diner will enjoy themselves. <laughs> That's right. One mouthful is never enough. It is a tease. It is a disappointment. <laughs> that's that's what I have to say on the topic. <laughs> Talking about food is fun. Mm -hmm. Also on your birthday, you judged a cooking competition. Oh, I did. We managed to do that <laughs> as well. That was between the hours of 6pm and 8.30pm on the Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> and you were on this tasting podium looking like food royalty. <laughs> the Prime Minister of Food on your podium. <laughs> the, queen. Was, the Queen. The <laughs> Queen. The queen of food. Come I think off. we should share a photo. We should like put a photo <laughs> up here so that you can see Elise on oh her food no. podium. Can we do that? Let's do that. I was contacted by my local high school to do this and at no point was 
I told that I would be sitting on a throne at the front of the room in front of an audience of 30 people while I proceeded to eat 12 things. I was um, living I said, for it. Ah! <laughs> that was very funny. And I had to look casual, natural. Oh, my gosh. And you did uh, so well. This was, this was food prepared by young people and I didn't want to make them feel awkward either. What I loved most about bringing you along, Scotty, was that you got to see where I went to school and you got to have a little bit of a, a yeah. I mean, you literally did get to sample because I called you up onto my throne and and, 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 and demanded that you try every dessert. Um, <laughs> but you also got to have a little bit of a sample, a taste of the kind of environment where I grew up in Melbourne's North, mm. we have such a rich multicultural hot pot. And yes. There were textbook examples of different pastors. There were textbook examples of Carolyn Cutlets. There were mm. there was a textbook example of baklava, and when it was served, it was served warm, and the filo pastry was made from scratch. These so young good. people are the people that I grew up with, essentially, and this is an area that you know Melbourne should be so so proud of because. Mm. The young people are passing on or are inheriting the tradition of their families um, with so much enthusiasm. I did not grow up like that. I grew up with Chico Rolls and all you can eat pizza from Pizza Hut. Oh. <laughs> that was our food experience during high school. Uh, so I loved mm. um, that multiculturalism that um, all of these beautiful dishes mm. displayed. So that was a Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, it was quite an intense um, experience of Scotty being in Melbourne. It was a jam-packed schedule. On the Friday, we catered the catered a wedding. Um, mm. The Friday morning involved Scotty um, doing some finishing touches on a range of desserts for our dessert shrine. Yes, that was so good. Mm. <laughs> so good. We arrived at the venue. We got stuck into it. We served 95 people canapes, a pasta course, um, mains. The mains included roast lamb, roast potatoes, um, or not just roast lamb, it was a slow roasted shoulder of lamb. Oh, yeah, fall apart. With the pangrattato. (laughs) I loved the pangrattato crunch on top of that slow roast lamb. That was so good. I could eat a plate of that right now too. I'm Mm. I'm just hungry right now. We're always um, hungry. (laughs) Yes, the alternate protein was a trout and papillot. And mm. um, when we do weddings, we, we serve sharing plates. Um, so anyone can take a little bit of anything. Uh, mm. We had this beautiful roast carrot salad with vinicotto, sunflower seeds, beautiful dill um, and caramelised red onion as well. Mm. And a beautiful leafy salad with garden garden leaves and and radishes as well um not to mention the dessert shrine you know if you yes. are getting married and you're thinking oh i want a cake i want a cake i want a cake you should consider a dessert shrine yes i think mm, i've got a feeling that it's what my personal preference would be particularly mm-hmm. as a caterer who doesn't have to then cut the cake yes <laughs> All like the stress of making a wedding cake. The last yeah. wedding we we um catered for, we made the wedding cake, and like I think the worst part of a wedding cake is the transportation process from yes. where you've made it to the venue is the most nerve wracking time of your life. Like yes. those moments, 
in the car <laughs> transporting that cake, your hours and hours of work can be undone in a second of it sliding off, falling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. And there's I, only yes. one. There's only one wedding only cake. One. Yeah. Mm. What would you do if that happened? Like you can't just whip another one up in five minutes. Oh, I'd probably go to like a donut shop and make a tower of donuts. Call that a day. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I'd hope that would be for someone's wedding who would forgive me. Well, at least on the weekend we got to relax and we went to the beautiful Yarra Valley. That was stunning for your magnificent birthday. It was a lot of fun. Um, We stopped at... Uh, a few wineries and one of them being Punch Lance. The Punch mm. Winery in St. Andrews is on Scott Road. <laughs> that was like a sign that it was going to yeah. be good. And the universe delivered. It yeah. was good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. The winemaker there. What was his name? James. He was James Lance. James. Mm. James Lance. Mm. He was so knowledgeable and passionate and... His storytelling in terms of the journey behind the wine, I lived for. It was so, so, so good. Quite often I'm left a little bit disappointed with wine tastings. Depends who you get um, and their knowledge of wine. And sometimes it's a little bit superficial that here's the wine, this is the varietal, and it tastes like grapes. Um, And you don't get much else than that. Whereas James took us through the journey of the introduction of the vines, where they came from, his family history, how they approached the making of the wine, the composition, the flavour palette that they were looking for, the way in which they produced the wine. It was so good. Oh, yeah. And uh, Mm. if I recall, Scotty made the big... The big, big call that this was his best experience at a Salador. It was. It was mm. definitely. Probably because I was surrounded also by beautiful people and, you know, company helps with a great experience. But, you know, we were just out in the sunshine, magnificent mm. day. Um, the pace of the wine tasting was beautiful, that we had time to appreciate it and talk about it and discuss it. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, the level of detail and storytelling that James provided as part of the tasting experience just yeah. took it to that next level. Yeah, everything was perfect about it, absolutely everything. Mm. I think giving us the opportunity to sample each wine and talk about it amongst ourselves too. You know, he didn't know that we were the kind of crazies that we are. (laughs) Everyone at the table was definitely the kind of um, obsessive food person that we like to keep company. And, Mm. of course, we wanted to talk about the wine. Um, you know, and we were given that space. We were given that opportunity in between each introduction to each bottle. So um, thank you, James. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Thank mm. you. Pinot Gris is week. my hot tip for that oh. winery. Their Pinot Gris <laughs> was amazing because it they took it to the next level. Quite often Pinot Gris can be quite crisp and dry um, and a great food wine. But this one, I think they included a little bit of skin contact in the making of it. Um, so it had this beautiful, rich golden color to it. And it had the 
buttery notes that you get with Chardonnay in a Pinot Gris. So it just, it lifted the whole thing and gave it this body that you don't expect from a Pinot Gris. And, but you still had that freshness of a Pinot Gris. Mm. It was divine. I need a uh, case of that, I think. I think, well, we can arrange it. We can arrange it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you learn a lot about individuals based on their palate preferences. Um, if you would like mm. to learn a little about me, you need to go to Punch Wine Room and try their Pinot Noir. It is <laughs> everything that I ever want in a red wine. It has character. Mm. It's long finishing. Um, they have two, red, two um, Pinot Noirs at the moment and both are extraordinary. The pricier option is a lot more peppery, a lot more, um, uh, I suppose, curious. Mm. Um, and a the full-bodied Pinot Noir, yeah. which oh, is yeah, again absolutely. is unusual. I think that's what I liked about this winery that they were pushing varietals into different spaces. Mm. Um, in a good way. Sometimes <laughs> that's a bad life decision, yeah. but this yeah. was a very good life decision. No, this is done with um, very, very delicate attention to the craft mm. and um, acute awareness of, of what would bring out the best of the grapes, the best of the process. Um, I found that their Pinot Noirs, you know, when you think of wine and black fruit notes, it's like a textbook wine and with black fruit notes it's exactly what I would want it was like alcoholic Ribena um, <laughs> without the sweetness of course but yeah we we did a lot on the weekend we did so much we, that's our weekend wrap everyone yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've had a glimmer into the life of Lisa and Scotty over the past week it has been absolutely hectic and now here we are recording a podcast like it was yesterday that we recorded episode four Mm. Yes, <laughs> and Feels we have a like new it. government. Oh, Australia, oh, you've yes. done well. <laughs> mm. That happened too, didn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> I. Um, since you've been gone, since you've been gone, I went <laughs> to a dinner at the ASRC, the Asylum Seeker Ooh. Resource Centre, and the mood there is extraordinary. There is this renewed sense of hope because we have a government Beautiful. that is a little bit more humanitarian than the last and mm -mm. there are people now who actually have hope that had, had that had disappeared um, that they will get to see family again, that they will get permanent residencies. This hope didn't exist under a Liberal government at all and mm. um, the importance of hope is so, so integral to survival for so many asylum seekers. Um, so thank you, Australia. You've done well. Anyway, in MasterChef land this week, on yes. Sunday night's episode... Did you watch um, it this time? Scotty, I need you to give me a rundown. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, seen some, I've seen some clips on the old uh, social media. Um, but, of course, watching a full episode for me is always a, uh, a difficult challenge because of the trauma. However, <laughs> um, Scotty, tell us, what was the challenge on Sunday night's episode? Well, I think it's a great segue into how we started today's podcast talking about multiculturalism um, because it was a combining of 
cultural cuisines. Um, very interesting. The MasterChef, like, I can't keep up with the format anymore. They're really mixing it up. So it wasn't an elimination. Usually Sunday's an elimination. Um, but they combined the two teams together, fans and favourites, are now one. And so to celebrate the combination of the teams, they combined cuisines. I found it very interesting that uh, the F word was not mentioned during this episode, um, that that being fusion, and immediately I thought, is this a fusion challenge? Um, <laughs> but it was a, a cultural combination of cuisines yeah. um, and the contestants got to choose two different cuisines to combine into one. And... Can I tell you, everyone looked stressed about yeah. this this challenge. There is something about this idea of fusion food that scares people. Mm. Um, mm. And I don't know what it is. I don't know why it is such a faux pas, um, but people were a little bit worried. Mm. If you were in their position, Scotty, what would you have made? Oh, how would you um, have abated the fear? <laughs> abated the fear. Look, to be honest, I cook a lot of fusion. Um, it's something that I probably do without willingly knowing that I do it, I guess. Um, mm. I love trying new things. I love explorative, explorative cooking, <laughs> going down the rabbit hole and trying mm. new flavors and combinations. Like it's, it's my thing. I like to experiment a lot with food. Um, so I quite often combine a lot of Japanese flavors with things. Um, I would have probably done something very similar to what Aldo did, to be honest, which was mm. a Japanese risotto. Um, I quite often like to throw uh, an Asian spin on a risotto because I think the similarities in terms of a rice dish um, mm. and all of the aromats that you can bring from an Asian cuisine. Sometimes I throw star anise and um, those sort of flavours into the stock um, and quite often use shiitake mushrooms because I love shiitake mushrooms. That's exactly what Aldo did in terms of combining those Japanese flavours. So he did a beautiful mm. dashi stock with shiitake mushrooms and I've made a very similar risotto and it is delicious. So I probably I've made a very similar there. risotto too. Have Do you? Do you recall at Society during MasterChef? Oh, you did. I did. I yes. made a dish that was shiitake, yuzu and barley. So it was a barley yes. risotto. Yes. Um, and I cooked the barley in a dashi stock, kombu, oh, yes. butter, yuzu butter. And um, I made a furikake that was like a pangotato, yes. but with yes. sesame, um, spring onion, some nori, yuzu zest, of course. Mm. Uh-huh. And shiitake mushrooms cooked in a little, with a little bit of yuzu butter. Yes, yum. Oh, yeah. And it a little bit of chive so well. oil just for a pop of green. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's go. good. Mm -hmm. Is that what you what would you have done? Would you have done that? Well, that's where that was like the direction that I was going in the competition last year, wasn't it? I was mm. making classic Italian but with other flavour profiles. Other, so yeah, that's right. There was, there was that tiramisu with wattle seed, um, native oh, plum yes. and bush honey. And... There was um, my native aquapazza, the pappadelli yes. with sardines and the bush tomato. 
Aniseed myrtle, lemon myrtle, um, Geraldton yes. wax oil. Yeah. You were, you were the fusion cook of the season. I thought, Dan, I thought Dan was the fusion <laughs> cook. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, no. Oh, yes. there was, I, made a, um, I made a pumpkin agnolotti with kombu butter and oh. um, fermented chilies and, 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 a, and a, a pangratado again, a walnut pangratado with that one. Yes. Um, yeah, but it was never an intention to identify as a fusion cook. And mm. I think the language of fusion um, never arose in the context of my cooking. However, the language of modern cuisine did. And what Mm. I'm curious to know is, do you think that fusion is now a dirty word correlated with dishes that were attempted within a particular era of cuisine, you know, in the last 20, 30 years or so that just completely failed. But now we've kind of gone through a bit of a paradigm shift, a skill shift and, and dishes where there is a combining of cuisine are actually working with subtlety, generosity, with, um, I suppose, uh, respect as well in the mix. Um, they're working it, but we're not calling it fusion because fusion is so, so connected with so much that went wrong. I don't know. Is yes. this, is this, could this be it? I think I think so. I think um, for some reason fusion is a bit of a dirty word and it probably comes from that like 90s food trend where things were forced unnecessarily. I think it was fusion for fusion's sake rather than for the sake of flavour. Um, and when fusion is done well and those flavour profiles are combined expertly, I think fusion food is amazing, but there was this time um, in, I think it was sort of, you know, that 90s, maybe even earlier, where that food trend was just colliding, um, colliding cuisines done really badly. Oh, yeah. And... I think it's colliding, giving it a bad rap. Colliding. Colliding. That's it, colliding. A collision and of cuisines. I think there's a risk there as well. Food is always political and um, there's a risk within fusion cuisine or fusion food that there is a cultural appropriation, a, a denigration of, of tradition and history. Um, and I think that's that's also something quite sensitive about the word fusion. And when we celebrate fusion food, you know, we can perhaps uh, put ourselves at risk of, um, you know, unintentional racism. You know, that's, mm. that's um, something that I know it came up last year during our season of MasterChef when Tommy made a barn mead Danish and there was a little bit of an uproar from within the Vietnamese um, community here in Melbourne about what should constitute a barn mead. And um, unfortunately, you know, Tommy was at the, the brunt of a little bit of, of backlash. But, you know, these are, these are legitimate opinions. These are opinions that come from places of passion and um, this – in this incredible need to preserve a history that has been subject to so many influences of of colonial colonialization and um, globalization as well. But you know, looking back in history, a lot of our cuisines have been brought together by a fusion of cultures. And you're right; sometimes that uh, fusion is under 
um, negative context of um, occupation and mm. war and um, all of those sorts of things. But mm. there are some amazing outcomes that have come from that in terms of mm. informing our food culture, like the banh mi, like you just suggested, mm. in terms of the French oh, occupation of um, Vietnam and that influence of French cooking coming in to and merging with Vietnamese cooking. Um, and the banh mi is the perfect example, that beautiful crusty French baguette, the pâté, um, which that French influence, and then it's got all those beautiful pickled vegetables and the, the pork and the chilli and all of those Vietnamese flavours coming together. And like mm. banh mi is one of my favourite foods in the world. I eat it on a very regular basis and it is just fabulous. Oh, the Italians wouldn't have pasta, you know, yes. if, if noodles weren't appropriated. Um, mm-hmm. Italians wouldn't have polenta either. Maize was something introduced. And I was yesterday years old when I found out that khaki, which is what I thought the Italian word for persimmon was, and it is, but, mm. and I also knew it was the Italian word for um, persimmon in, 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 sorry, I also knew that khaki was the word for persimmon in Japanese. Uh, it was because the khaki, the persimmon, actually was brought from Japan mm. to Italy. Yeah. And so that word has travelled as well. Um, I I would love to talk to someone who was in the Fusion Challenge or the yes. Combining Cuisine Challenge. Let's not use the F word if it wasn't <laughs> used. But, you know, there would be a reason for it, surely. Um, we've had the wonderful opportunity to be able to invite Alvin Kwa to Cream Eggs and Jam this week. So shall we hear from Alvin, Scotty? I would love to. He's one of my favourites on this season. <laughs> Hi, Alvin. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, oh, Alvin. Hi, guys. It's, it's, it's such a pleasure to meet you guys and talk to you guys. Oh, of course. Um, I can't believe that, you know, we, we have the grace of getting to know you, um, you know, as someone that has dreamed of, of knowing MasterChef contestants, you're one of the ones that I would have dreamed to have met. So thank you very much Aww. for being so generous with your time. Um, oh, now, thank you. On Sunday night's episode, there was a fusion food challenge and we yes. just wanted to ask you, talk us through what happened when you were thinking about the creation of that dish. You know, it can be um, quite a journey to come up with with a dish within a short space of time and, um, yeah, we're wondering what went on um, for you personally coming up with that dish. Well, I, I think fusion um, fusion dishes. There's a fine line between fusion and confusion. I think. Um, <laughs> yes, like, I love it. I, I actually sort of find that a lot of people um, uh, they try to do sort of fusion dish, but sometimes they're not very successful. Um, so coming up with that dish is is not entirely easy either. I think. Um, sometimes we forget that a lot of the, you know, like you guys know, cause you guys are, you know, like cooking pros, uh, you, like a lot of the things that you do and, and Scotty, maybe you, because you're, you do a lot of desserts and, and mm. you know, like it's, there's a lot of French techniques there already. So, yes. so you could really just use any sort of local ingredients and just, you know, do a, a classic meringue or Swiss buttercream or whatever, you know, like, and, and that, that in itself is, is fusion. And yet people don't necessarily recognize that. 
Um, coming up with my dish, so 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 I I I like to champion a lot of Southeast Asian sort of flavors, particularly Malaysian flavors, which is where I'm from. Yes. Um, I have one particular dish in mind, which is um, which is such a which is such a peasant um, uh, 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 breakfast dish. Really, it's actually called kaya on toast. So kaya is a coconut custard jam. Um, that is like super, super like laborious to make. It's I, I I liken it to risotto. Like you need a lot of love, and you know, like you need to stir a lot and make sure the custard doesn't burn and all that sort of stuff. So, my idea was to do to fuse that with um, French sort of cuisine. So I wanted to do a my my take on cayenne toast, which is a dessert. Um, now, doing desserts in the kitchen, as you know. Uh, or the master kitchen rather is is always such a poison chalice. So sometimes you know, like things that are supposed to set just does not set. Yeah. Um, like, um, so I, I my, my idea was to do a hazelnut dacquoise, um as the toast, um, and then two types of um, coconut sort of flavored you know set elements. So one was a caramelized um, coconut, and the other one is a coconut sort of gel. Um, and then to sit on that is a sort of tempered dark, dark chocolate. So the concept was brilliant, I thought. Um, but, you know, um, but I, think run, I, I think trying to execute it in 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 a high pressure environment when everything is so hot in the kitchen and trying to set things and even with the help of a blast chiller, it just it just it, yeah just didn't quite come together. But I thought the concept was good. I loved the concept, uh, you know, custard, coconut, jam, like those three words together. I've had guy before. It's so good. I've never tried to make it. Maybe I need to do that as a oh, mission. You should. You should. It's really, I, 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 I love it. Like it's such a childhood sort of thing for me. Oh, yum. I, def- I might have to get your recipe for it. <laughs> Yours will probably turn out better, I suspect. <laughs> <laughs> this challenge particularly you could see that people were struggling with this concept of fusion. And you mentioned that sometimes it's, it's hard to fuse different cuisines together. Why do you think that is so? What is the, I guess, I think there was, there's two parts to that question. You know, what makes it difficult and why is everyone so nervous to do it? Yeah, I think, I think the first question, I think it's difficult because, it, it, you know, people people are too scared to combine combine sort of different flavors because uh, either because of lack of experience or you know like they're not quite sure how it'll turn out, right? Like because it's it's mm. almost like when you you know like there are there are some naturally um, uh, you know perfect marriages basically when it comes to sort of fusion, and then there are others that you think mm, that might not work. Um, yeah. So I. Yeah, I think when people sort of try to overthink it, that's when they sort of get into trouble. But also, also I think fusion food has had such a bad rap, right? Um, it, it's, it's, you know, sometimes people think, oh, really, like for, for a lot of us, you know, I don't know what, what you guys are like, but I'm a purist. Um, when it comes to sort of cooking, like you don't want to mess with tradition, you know, like, but at the same time, um, for migrants like myself, like I've had to fuse a lot of flavors because of, you know, like either I can't find the ingredients here or, you know, like mm. I've had to sort of learn to sort of, you know, cook the way 
you know the people here cook. So so you know like for a, for, for a lot of us migrants, we've we, we've already been fusing our cuisine for well, God knows how long, right? <laughs> but I, I think for for the rest of us who's who's been such a like I guess you know like a champion of their own culture, like. Uh, like a good example, I think is Aldo. Like from from my current season, right? Like he's so he's so passionately Italian, and yes. everything is so so Italian. And and yet, like the surprising thing is what he did for the challenge was fusing Italian and Japanese cuisine, mm. and that turned out beautifully. Um, yes. So for, for the rest of them, I think they're kind of like you know uh, deer in headlights. It's like uh, oh my god, like I'm fusing this. Does this work? Does this work? And it might not. So there's that element, and and I think the other element is for the for the newer contestants, particularly you know the fans or the former fans as as they're called now. Um, they, they they're still they're still sort of trying to work how to think on their feet in the kitchen. Yes. Um, you know, like we, you guys have done it. Um, so if you were thrown back into the kitchen, you know, you probably could sort of say, okay, I could do this, I could do that. But for the mm. rest of them, they're still new. So they're sort of thinking, uh, uh, what do I do? Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yes. I'm wondering, Alvin, we noticed that the word fusion wasn't actually used within the episode. I'm wondering what your take is on that. Is it because the F word is now obsolete? It's forbidden. It's dirty. It's it has no place on on television now. I'm I'm trying to think. That I, I did I did sort of wonder that. And in fact, I remember you know like during the challenge, like we, you know, like during the interviews, they sort of say, "Oh, we don't use the word fusion or whatever." It's like the merge or, you know, like whatever they use. But um, I, I, I guess, yeah, I, I guess so. I think in, in an era of, you know, like we're, we're trying to be an integrated society, you know, like this, there's a bigger picture here, I think. I think fusion in a sense sort of, um, to me, fusion probably sort of projects the idea that there, there's us and there's them. So, you know, like in a united front, you don't want to have sort of that, that, that sort of word fusion. So in that sense, I guess fusion is a dirty word. But in its truest form, I think fusion when it comes to food, it's, it's, it's not. Like it's actually, it's actually just a word that means combining, you know, like different flavors from different cultures or different countries. And, and I, I did wonder why it was such a touchy subject or a touchy word. Um, you know, like, I, I guess, you know, like in, in, in the business of making television, um, and I can't speak for the producers, although I'm trying to right now, uh, maybe, <laughs> maybe they sort of think, look, it, it could be a trigger for some because it's supposed to be, you know, like a, a family-friendly sort of show, which it is. And I guess fusion has that negative connotation. Mm. Which is so interesting because I think historically, when you look back at um, how a lot of cuisines came to be, they, they, you know, they started in the world of fusion of cultures sort of coming together, and you know, like the the bun mi in Vietnam. I think culturally, yeah. you know, that's interesting in terms of that yeah. French occupation and the combining yeah. of those two cultures. And we've had some wonderful dishes, I think, come out of the the fusion of two cultures. Um, yeah. So I wonder where it goes 
bad. Like I'm trying to work out at what point does fusion become a dirty word and and why has it got this negative rap? Yeah, and it shouldn't it shouldn't have it shouldn't have a negative connotation because you're right. Like I think a lot of uh, when it comes to food anyway, there's a lot of beautiful things that's come out of fusion. Yeah. You know, like whether you know, like mind you, like how it came about probably wasn't that pleasant. You know, like true, you talk about true. and all that sort of stuff. But I think when when you sort of remove that and sort of look at sort of fusion food, it's it shouldn't be a dirty word. Um, it's it's just I think it's a way of celebrating the merge of you know like different heritage and different cultures. Mm. And sometimes it's absolutely unavoidable. I was talking to a Syrian lady last night, and I asked her, "Do you mainly?" cook Syrian at home and she said well I do like cooking other things but everything ends up tasting Syrian <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, can, it can be unavoidable I mean you mentioned Aldo everything is so Italian if he had to combine two cuisines that were drawn at random out of a hat his dish probably would have ended up tasting Italian, even if one of the one of the yeah, cuisines yeah. weren't. Um, yeah. Sorry, Aldo, but I just expect that you wouldn't be able to help yourself. <laughs> oh no! No. If you were to do oh, that, that challenge again, Alvin, would it have been a matter of um, readjusting uh, ideas to suit particular time constraints? What What would you have done if you had a second shot? I think, you know, like I, I, you know, like I actually love cooking desserts and, and it's not coming through <laughs> in, in, in the show because of, you know, like a lot of restraints and all that. And, and I've decided that if I, if I were to have uh, a, a second chance in actually doing that challenge again, I'm going to completely pivot and do a savory. Um, oh, interesting. I remember, yeah, I remember when they, uh, like when the challenge was sort of presented to us, I did sort of think, okay, there's two ways I can do this. So one was the Kayon toast and the other one I wanted to do, um, I wanted to combine Australian uh, cuisine and Malaysian cuisine. So I wanted mm. to do a, a seared kangaroo loin with a Sarawak laksa sort of gravy. Um, so yeah. that's, that's in itself. Yeah. So that, like, I remember something, oh God, I could have gone that, that way, you know, like then I could have been closer to 10 K, but never mind. Isn't it? I, yes. I think so. Alvin. I mean, this is also very relevant to the idea of fusion food because it alludes to fusing of cultures. But within cultures, there is regional cuisine. There is cuisine that's typical of certain time periods within the history of that culture. I would love to know, what is your ideal laksa? Is there an ideal laksa or are you someone that doesn't discriminate you will take a luxa from any region that it might come from um within your beloved malaysia or you know do, do you like to execute you know a luxa that's what you want to eat every time i i have to admit i'm a bit of a culture whore so i do not discriminate like i would <laughs> But but it's like asking someone, it's like asking a parent if they've got a favorite child. And while they say they don't, there's always a favorite child. Yes. 
So I like my I have I have two like like I think my favorite my favorite one is the is the is the but it's a very standard sort of curry laksa right like and this is what you get you get like this is the most common thing that you'll find in Australia um, so you know like and and if you go to Malaysia you'll find it predominantly in KL um, so it's it's just you know it's the one that we're very familiar with it's like, like spicy sort of you know like it's got that creaminess of the coconut milk and all the goodness of the noodles and the proteins and all that sort of stuff so that's one of my favorite the other one that's sort of less I guess um, celebrated here is the asam laksa which is the the sour sort of base sort of laksa so so they're they're my two sort of go to and and it's 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 just yeah it, it you i mean food evokes such memories you know like of of where you travel where you come from and all that and and for me like nothing sort of tastes more like home than a big bowl of laksa mm. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I haven't had an Assam laksa. I'm going to have to try oh, that. That sounds amazing. Yeah. There might be some in Queensland. Just look mm. it up. It <laughs> yeah. Alvin, can you help us, uh, particularly Scotty, because he needs to experience this vicariously. <laughs> can you walk us through an Assam laksa, you know, using yeah. the language of, you know, description that allows us to taste it in this moment? Okay. <laughs> So, so an asam laksa is basically, so imagine like a big bowl, like it's a big bowl of noodles, right? So there's mm-hmm. noodles, it's the same sort of format. So there's noodles, there's protein, there's a bit of vegetables, okay? But the flavor itself, it's sort of, asam is tamarind, so it's quite sour. Oh, yeah. um, and and the broth is a little bit more, it's more, it's more sort of consomme rather than the thick sort of coconut cream curry laksa that you get. So it's sour, it's, it's still got that funkiness of the shrimp paste, which, you know, like as a, gosh, I don't know why that's not like a national mascot of Malaysia. It really should be. Like the <laughs> shrimp paste itself, like it gives it that sort of funkiness. And then you've got the sourness of the tamarind. Um, and they also use um, uh, ginger flour, um, which is like a, another sort of sour element to it as well. The, the noodles that they use is different as well. So they use sort of more the the, the thick sort of tapioca sort of tile, style, style noodles. Very similar. The closest thing I can use to describe it is very similar to uh, an udon noodle. Um, oh, and right. it's just, yeah. And, and it's, it's sour and it's spicy and it's funky. So, you know, like that's my way of describing it. That sounds amazing. I'm going to seek this out in Brisbane. <laughs> or maybe I just need to go somewhere else and find it. That's right. I'll cook it for you one day. So okay, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Dinner at and Alvin's house. Lock it yes, in. Yes, please. Yes, please. <laughs> Other than your house, Alvin, we're wondering um, if you could also share with our listeners some top Top dining tips. Where, where have you been eating? Yeah. Uh, what are your favorite must-try uh, restaurants? Um, what's what's getting your palate excited at the moment? So I, so you know, like thanks to the the, the show, I'm currently residing in Melbourne, but I'm from Sydney. Um, so you know, I can give you a couple from Sydney that that I like really, really sort of adore and. Um, one of them is, um, they're all around, unfortunately, gosh, I sound like such a bloody hermit. They all revolve around sort of Surrey Hills, which is where I live. Um, <laughs> and so Arthur, Arthur restaurant is one of them. 
Um, and it's one of those, you know, like little neighborhood restaurants that do really good local produce really well. Like they, 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 they use indigenous sort of ingredients and local wines. And, and you know, like there, there's an example of fusion food that goes really well. Um, you know, like it's every every dish they do is so is so magnificently fused. Um, it, it's just, yeah, you guys need to try if if you you're ever sort of there. Um, the other one is is um, this is this mm, it's, it's a lo- it's a local it's a local pub actually, but it's not like you know like I mean I don't do pubs as you probably can deduce looking at me. <laughs> Um, I like uh, that. Look at me. I don't do pubs. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> against pubs. I think, you know, like, oh, no. great, but it's just, I find, like, I stick out like a sore thumb. I feel like I'm exotic in a pub. But never mind. <laughs> <laughs> That's That's you should just challenge everyone around and be like, I'm going to take two pints, thanks. <laughs> Con- yeah. Confuse them all. I'm, yeah. thinking, I'm thinking... How big is a pint? Like this is how uneducated I am. <laughs> so my my local pub is this is is this little gastro pub which is like amazing. Like it's it's one of those fancier pubs and it's called Dead Ringer. Um, and you know, like I don't know whether you guys get this. Like sometimes it really helps if you go to a place and this is so cliche that knows your name. Like they they know what you order. They know not not through not through television, but like because you go there so frequently and mm. and you just sort of like if you feel like eating alone you can you sit at the bar you talk to the bartender or you bring good friends and they know how to look after you and i i don't know like it just it they they do really good um i call it modern australian so mm-hmm. so a lot of their a lot of their food is delicious um and it's it's yeah that, that that's my go-to at the moment yes oh that sounds so that. good i'm not that person that goes to the same place twice often i like trying new things so i'm an explorer (laughs) i'm out trying okay take that off the list next one (laughs) yeah i I am as well don't get me wrong but i think there are my regulars that i sort of go to and and every time people ask me oh where would you recommend i would sort of go that i mean there's a whole list of beautiful like restaurants in in sydney and you know like you could you know maryvale alone that whole group has a list of like restaurants that i would sort of say yeah go there go there go there like amazing mm-hmm. um and then there's you know like peter gilmore like key and ben along it's like yes. and and yeah see there's still no pubs shit i really need to sort of like i need to <laughs> i need to sort of I, I'll, I'll explore pubs the next time we speak yes. i'll say oh yeah go to that pub <laughs> I Alvin's did something pub uncomfortable. Review. Yes. Yes, yes, Alvin's pub review. There's no it's one coming. ever. <laughs> I think that's what would make it so funny. That would be hilarious. <laughs> oh dear. I, I think it says a lot about your character if there are places that remember your name. And I'm just trying to trying to rattle through where do I go that, you know, I feel like you're regular. For me, yeah. It's the local Vietnamese bakery. I, love. I know V. Yes. I love V. She's who I want to make my bun me. Um, <laughs> there's a local Italian um, like pastry shop, Il Pasticino, and uh, they don't know what I'm going to order because I always I'm, I'm a little bit random. But it's nice that they know, <laughs> and it's not from MasterChef either. It's just because of regular human activity. Yeah, yeah. 
And there are so many benefits when they know you too. So yes, I used to work right next door to A1 Bakery on Sydney Road and I'd be at the back of the queue and because they knew that I would, you know, be a busy working lady, they'd be like, Elise, <laughs> what do you need? And I'd be at the back of the queue and I'd be like, look, I just need some, I just need some bread. I just need some pita bread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grab it. Pay at the coffee station. Oh, I love that. Oh, they love would it. encourage the cutting of the queue. Yeah, don't you think special? It's like when you're queuing up in a nightclub and suddenly you say, oh, no, you can come through. And you suddenly feel like a supermodel. It's like, yeah, yes. this is what, yeah, this is what I should be doing everywhere I go. That's right? it. May I pay? Yes, yes please. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be There's a VIP at a club. <laughs> There's actually another, another French bakery, like literally next door, which is very dangerous, literally next door to where I live. It's called La Vie and Belle. And, oh. and I think, hands down, the best almond croissant I've had ever. Oh, like, I love just, almond croissants. Right? Like, I thought you might, Scott. So, you know, yes. like, you need to. Yeah. It's called La Vie um, and Belle. So they're, so, they're so French um, in all the nicest ways. Oh, I love a good almond croissant. We've got a great place here called Hugs, which I love just the name of because it feels like you're getting a warm hug every time you have a croissant there. And they do an almond croissant and they drizzle over like an espresso um, icing. So it's like a coffee almond croissant. It is so good. Oh, yeah. You are both making me incredibly hungry. I think we're going to have to go and get snacks. Yes, yeah. snack time. Yeah. Oh, wait, I have Thank you so much for joining us, Alvin. We absolutely adore you and cannot wait to have Assam Luxor with you in Sydney. I'm booking my flight. Yes. 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 That'll be fun. Thank you for having me. You've some great chat too. Stay on MasterChef. Yes. 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 Stay on as long as you can because we love you. And then we'll have the Assam later. Yeah. Every day is a battle. Every day is a battle. Oh, no. I'm rocking. (laughs) <laughs> in the corner literally oh no I can re- yeah look we can relate it's funny that isn't it <laughs> <laughs> alright well good luck Thanks, and we Thank can't wait so to much. see you celebrate more wonderful food lovely great chatting to you guys Thanks, Thanks Alvin. Alvin bye, bye. <laughs> Alvin is such a wonderful contestant on this season of MasterChef and I love him from his original season. Just mm. he brought so much life and genuine uh, hospitality into the MasterChef arena that time around and I think it's an absolute blessing that our screens can be graced with with Alvin for a second time. Yes. Um, it's so lovely to talk to him and I'm going to make that coconut jam custard. Coconut oh, yeah. jam. Those three things together. Oh. Now, we have done a little bit of research and, Scotty, I believe you've come up with a few results when you've looked up the definition of fusion because we need to get to the bottom of why the producers might have left out the F word from this episode. I did find a, um, an article by um, Delicious Magazine written by Matt Preston 
former <laughs> MasterChef judge. So I thought this was an interesting article. And uh, Matt Preston asked the question, is fusion a dirty word from the 90s? And he says not at all. Um, he actually credited fusion food for creating some of the world's best dishes. Um, and a quote from him in this article says, imagine a world without beef vindaloo, pizza, paella, tempura, sweet chocolate, and even the Christmas turkey or the humble dim sim. You are imagining a world without fusion, my friend. Or how about Italian without tomatoes or Indian without chili? Witness here the importance of the culinary cross-pollinization that fusion represents. Favorites in one country are often developed somewhere else. Chutneys originated in India, ketchup from Malaysia, and marmalades, and our favorite jam from Greece and the Arab world. Mm. So I think that's an interesting perspective in terms of the, this idea of fusion has informed a lot of our cultural dishes. Um, so maybe it is the fact that once those dishes are represented and instilled as part of our originality, then when they're changed or altered, I don't know. I, where does mm. fusion go bad? At what <laughs> point does it turn Sorry. nasty? Well, you know, at risk of sounding insensitive to those who are offended by fusion for reasons that are rooted in in, in you know, the need to preserve identity, um, you know, I suppose when we go to justify fusion cuisine, um, you know, it does seem like a word that should be, I know, treated with a little bit more acceptance. Um, but, you know, I, I, I'm cautious of that. I, I know that there are views within our community that are, that are loaded views that come mm. from perspectives that, um, you know, are very, very passionate on this topic. So I'm, I'm a little bit cautious to fully accept what, what Preston has to say. I think that, you know, he's coming definitely from a place of knowledge and understanding of, of the globalization of cuisine. And, and it's inevitable that that's happened. Is fusion a dirty word? I think that it is a word that has a caveat. It's a word that, um, you know, might be used to allow us to describe a world of globalised food that um, we have the luxury of eating in some contexts. Um, you know, deliciousness is always going to be fun. It's always going mm -hmm. to be um, appreciated. But um, the erosion of culture is a consequence of globalisation. It, it is attached to the idea of fusion. And so I think it is a word with a caveat. That from mm. that's that, that's not going to be my particular, um, I suppose, perspective on it. But I think for others, maybe it's a dirty word just because it's associated with so many dishes that went wrong, you know, <laughs> 20, yes. 30 years ago. So the the Wolfgang Puck's um, rabbit hole of throwing as many different toppings on a pizza to create this yeah. idea of gourmet pizza. Mm -hmm. It's probably maybe where things started to go wrong. Oh, gosh. I don't know. I, I think it is when, when it was just done without thought or it was done for fun, um, mm. but the end result was interesting but not delicious, let's say. Mm. <laughs> I've I found an article, Scotty, and Ooh, yeah. we'll credit it in the description of our 
of, of this podcast. And in the article it says, in an attempt to stand out during the fusion food boom, some chefs focused less on marrying flavours and more on unexpected flavour combinations, which mm. resulted in odd and undesirable dishes. As a result, the term fusion is often met with hostility in the culinary world today, sometimes being referred to as the F word by chefs who don't want to be associated with the confusion era of fusion food. Mm. So... You know, that that could be an explanation for the repulsion. <laughs> yes. I love that. But there are some chefs that are doing it really well. I um, had a look on my cookbook shelf and I thought, yes. um, I wonder if I own any cookbooks that are fusion. Um, and I don't have anything that is labelled fusion food. <laughs> you never know. I have so many cookbooks. I thought, oh, <laughs> let's, let's have a look. Um, but mm. I did find this um, beautiful book here, <sighs> Momofuku. Um, by David Chan and legend. he's an absolute legend and I think this is a prime example of fusion food done well. Um, you know, David Chang is a Korean-American chef um, cooking Japanese food and so that's already a fusion of cultures mm. but mm. I love his food and there's some like magnificent recipes in here I really love unusual flavor combinations. So for me, fusion food excites me if it's done well. Um, and there's this like even something simple like this beautiful pan-roasted asparagus with the poached egg and just miso butter. Yeah. You know, a very French cuisine but introducing that miso element into it, gorgeous. I, and I very doable that. for the home cook. Like that's, that's fusion that is – uh, less likely to lead to collision. Mm. <laughs> yes, um, right. I think something else in the Momofuku book is that cereal milk ice oh cereal milk ice cream or cereal milk panna cotta. I think it started as a panna cotta. Oh, and yes. that's an introduction of high fructose corn syrup into an Italian dish. <laughs> yeah. So the yeah, much from loved, milk bar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Corn flakes, high fructose corn syrup. Very American. <laughs> American, yes. Mm, mm. It's so good. This one this one looks really interesting too. I picked this one out. This is a bacon dashi with potatoes and clams. How good does oh. that sound? Oh, why didn't we make oh. this meal together over the weekend? I know. I want to oh. eat this right now. I think the next time we oh. do um, travel to visit each other, we need to make like a little bit of a menu that we just cook for ourselves, like foods that we want to make together. Oh, yeah. That's a good for idea. For fun? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yes, please. Um, so I've, I've pulled out a couple of books as well. Oh, yes. I'm and interested to see what your fusion cookbooks look like. <laughs> again, these are books that aren't intended to be, um, you know, categorised as fusion cookbooks. Um, the first one is Hiyakai. I'm sorry oh. if I'm mispronouncing that. Um, Monique Fizzo uh, is the author and the chef behind this particular text. And this is a text on modern Maori cuisine. This is, this is a book where you'll find, I suppose, um, the composition of dishes that might remind you of French cooking, mm -hmm. but the flavours are intimately, you know, um, native to New Zealand um, or connected to the Maori culture. Um, it, it, that would be probably the, the better way to put it as well. Another book that I've pulled is Season 
by the wonderful Nick Sharma. And in these Mm -hmm. books, we have um, tradition met with modernity. And this is where I'm, I suppose, getting this idea of modern cuisine from as well. Um, In Nick Sharma's book, you'll find things like, you know, a ceviche with Indian spices or um, an apple apple cake but with a masala chai uh, spice. Um, Yum, yes. This is a book with, what does he say? Think chicken soup transformed by sweet, sour Omani lime. Um, You know, it's a rare cookbook that comes to represent the way we eat now, translating the world of food and restaurants for home kitchens and capturing modern diversity. You know, this is what Nick hopes to do through his season. So um, Mm. there are a couple of books that aren't necessarily intended to be fusion books. Mm-hmm. Um, they are a means of celebrating culture without making traditional dishes. Mm. Okay, so these are books where you would go and try and look for classic executions of particular um, dishes from, from history. These are modern approaches to the ingredients available and to the understanding of the past, to the traditions that we're informed by today. This is such a complicated topic, isn't it? And I think there are so many different views and opinions. We would love your opinion. Let us know what you think. Is fusion a dirty word? Um, Should we be using the F word? Is there a different word? And what are your thoughts on fusion food? Have you had a good experience? Have you had a bad experience? Scotty, we've had quite the discussion today and we've covered a lot of sensitive, delicate topics. Um, you know, we both always come from a place of thoughtfulness and, and good intentions. So we don't want to, um, have, uh, I suppose offended anyone listening today, but, um, you know, if we have, we'd sincerely apologize You know, if our language use has been at all, um, uh, unca- uncareful, um, please know that our, our heart is always, is always intended to be in the right place, um, in our yes. chest. Yes. <laughs> um, um, but please be in touch, you know, be part of the conversation. Yes. If, you, uh, if you're a part of this, we can learn together um, and you can help us understand more. Um, that being said, I think it's time for a little bit of a lighthearted show and tell. Woohoo, my favorite segment. Yes, I'm not very prepared for this segment, by the way. But ah, anyway. Oh, no. Shall I go first while <laughs> you, you go gather, first. Your, gather yeah. your thinking juices? Yes. So um, while Scotty was down, I uh, enlisted him for the frying of um, copious uh, cannoli shells, and I still have some left over. And I have filled a cannoli shell. Oh, yum. So my show and tell is... A cannoli with Sri Lankan love cake spices. What? Uh Is that fusion? It's fusion. (laughs) I don't think, look, if you've got, if you're listening and you've got any ideas about how to fuse Italian with Sri Lankan, you let me know. The obvious answer is creating a child like myself, that <laughs> my particular um, cultural backgrounds. Mum's um, Italian, dad's half Sri Lankan. Um, so I've made cannoli and I've filled it with a ricotta that I have spiced with love cake spices. So a little bit to of. Talk to cardamom. me about love cake mm-hmm, spices. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So love cake, Sri Lankan love cake, um, is spiced with cinnamon, cardamom, ginger, um, a little bit of nutmeg, and. Rose water. 
Okay. Um, it's made with a lot of cashew nuts as well. So uh, imagine a flourless cake with, made with almond meal, but in the context of Sri Lankan love cake, it's made with um, cashews. And I like making love cake with brown sugar. So for this cannoli, I've sweetened the ricotta with brown sugar. I've Ooh. spiced it with cinnamon, cardamom, a little bit of nutmeg, a little bit of ginger. And I've crushed up some roasted cashews, folded that through the ricotta and um, a little bit of lime zest as well. Um, Instead of rose water in the ricotta, I had some dehydrated rose petals that I bought from Gewurz house a little while ago. So it's this pink powder that just smells like Mm -hmm. roses and I mix that with the icing sugar that I've then dusted my cannoli with. So oh, my God. It smells like love cake. That rose water smell and that's those undertones of spice, it smells like love cake. Um, I'm really excited by this because this was an idea that I was mulling over during MasterChef and it hasn't been until now that I've actually given it a go. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds amazing. You should have pulled that out on MasterChef for sure. Mm. Oh, look. <laughs> Someone else at some point in time will get the pleasure of eating this and I'm one of those <laughs> humans right now. So this is my show and tell, Scotty, my Sri Lankan cannoli. Who would have thought? Sri Lankan cannoli. This could be a new food trend. Oh, look, I am a purist and I am the kind of person doesn't that doesn't like to muddy with tradition too much. I actually don't like like cannoli that's just laden with sugar. I, I cannot handle some of the cannoli that you see these days that's just drizzled with chocolate or, you know, just filled with ricotta that just tastes like sugar or cream you know ricotta needs to taste like ricotta um Mm. so this this execution of cannoli you know i've i've tried to retain some of those um i suppose elements of tradition that that i think need to survive the fusion experience (laughs) Mm. oh my god i love it was that enough time yeah. for you to gather your thinking juices and think of a show Look, and tell? I, <laughs> I have gathered some things here on my desk. Mm. <laughs> and um, I'm going to segue from your discussion about chocolate. Mm. And I thought I might share three of my new favourite chocolates that I have discovered. Oh, hello. It, uh, this is a brand, um, I'm probably not even going to pronounce this right, Soul Kiki. Soul Kiki. I'm probably doing a very bad pronunciation of that. Um, mm. But this is a divine chocolate brand. I love really unusual flavors. It's right up my alley. This one is a premium dark chocolate, which has like dehydrated samphire through it. So it's like salted dark chocolate when you get, I love a dark chocolate and you just like salt sprinkles over the top Mm. of it divine the salt just brings that chocolatey flavor up and elevates it so much this is done with samphire and it is divine people listening um who don't know what samphire is can you explain to us where we would find it and what it usually might look like or taste like when it's not in chocolate Samphire is essentially like a succulent, um, Australian native, but it's not native only to Australia. You get samphire from all over the place. I think this samphire is comes from somewhere over in the UK, if I am correct. Um, mm. Not entirely sure. I can't find it on the back of the packet, but I'm, I think it's from the UK. Um mm. 
but yeah, it's a it's a succulent. Um, mm. So it's found by the seaside on sand dunes, um, and so it soaks up all of the salty goodness from those sand dunes, and you get this beautiful pop of saltiness. Um, it's herbaceous, um, but it's a great for a seasoning because it is yeah. quite salty. You don't expect it to be so salty. Um, so it's used usually as like a garnish or something in beautiful modern Australian dishes um, to bring the element of salt and seasoning to a dish. So mm. this is very clever in a chocolate. It must so have been dehydrated for the chocolate, I, dehydrated yeah. and, and ground. You would have to dehydrate it. There's sort of chunks mm. of it in there because mm. it's so watery um, wow. that it's been dehydrated. So that one's quite interesting. This is from the same brand. This is another one. I think you would really like this one. Ooh. This one is this one is white chocolate with raspberry, whiskey, and oats. Interesting. So good. Unbelievably good. It's such a good combination of the white chocolate and like the sour raspberries. And then you get that whiskey flavor, Mm. that real sort of oaky whiskey um, notes. And then like these little crunchy oats in it, which brings texture and that um, like oaty sort of goodness to it. It's like... It it's like an like adult a, breakfast cereal in yeah, a chocolate exactly. bar. <laughs> if, uh, one of my favourite things to get at the farmer's market for breakfast is a bowl of porridge with rhubarb and, and pouring cream. Yes. Can can I get it instead with like that particular flavour profile? Yes. Imagine a bowl of Could porridge in the morning with white chocolate and whiskey. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Nutrition. We need to try that. That would be oh. so good. And this is my last one. Um, I couldn't decide which of these three, so I'm going to show you all three. Um, this one is beautiful. It's a salt pickled um, sakura blossom, so cherry blossom from Japan. Um, in this beautiful, <gasps> yes. beautiful dark chocolate. Delicious. So I have good. some salted cherry blossoms in my pantry. You've just reminded me of. Oh, yum. Oh, Maybe you could do a salted cherry blossom cannoli. I'll, see, I'll let you know if that happens. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Thank you for that show and tell, Scotty. The world Amazing of flavour is just endless, isn't it? It is endless. Mm. I love weird stuff. That's my food nerd weirdness (laughs) coming out. Everyone is probably going, why would you want chocolate that tastes like all those weird, strange things? I do. Look, um, weird can be done well. We'll put it, we'll put it that <laughs> yes. way. Weird can, and it can. And it, I think when you understand technique, when you understand classic cooking, that's when weird can then be actually done well. It's when fusion can be done well. Um, mm. You need to know the classics and master the classics before you can start to, uh, you know, commit adultery. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, as for our episode, I believe that's a wrap for episode five. As always, we hope you have enjoyed our episode. If you have anything to add to the conversation, please be in touch and uh, let's continue on this con- conversation on, on food as politics and, and food as a communication um, uh, device, particularly when it comes to cultural representation and identity. 
Absolutely. And we'd love to hear from you. Please subscribe to our channel. Send us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from you. Like this episode, share this episode and join us next week for more thoughts, tips and tricks. With guests, recipes and more in the mix. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Cream, Eggs and Jam. I'm Elise Pulbrook and you can find me on Instagram at Elise underscore food person. And I'm Scott Bagnall, and you can find me on Instagram at SSBagnall. If you'd like to send us your show and tell, you can email us, scottyandelise at gmail.com. Or if you'd like the visual experience of this podcast, you can find us on YouTube at Cream Eggs and Jam. Have a great day. Happy baking.